Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Illegal uh, African Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan, 2020. Keep America great. Hello and thank you for joining us for another episode of 2020 Vision, the United States Study Center's weekly look at the news, polls and primaries in the 2020 US presidential election race. This week, we're talking Democratic candidates and so-called unlikable women with Dr. Rebecca Sheehan, a program director of gender studies at Macquarie University in Sydney and an honorary associate with the United States Study Center. We've seen a triumphant Nancy Pelosi this week emerge the victor from a bruising government shutdown. Kamala Harris has taken part in the first town hall event as part of her efforts to win the Democratic nomination. And Hillary Clinton has re-emerged and weighed in on Bernie Bros in a new interview. We'll get to all that in a minute, but let's first hear from some of the first female candidates to put up their hands to take on President Trump in 2020. Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren is taking a big step towards challenging President Trump in 2020. I never thought I would run for anything ever in my life, but America's middle class is getting hollowed out and opportunity for too many of our young people is shrinking. Democratic Congresswoman uh, Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii has just told our Van Jones she will run. Do you think she should? Are you going to run? <laughs> <laughs> I have decided to run and will be making a formal announcement within the next week. Whoa! Please welcome back to The Late Show, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I'm just curious, uh, do you have anything you would like to announce? Yes, I'm filing an exploratory committee for President of the United States tonight! Tonight! Senator Kamala Harris is joining what is expected to be a crowded field. I love my country, and I feel a sense of responsibility to stand up and fight for the best of who we are. And I'm prepared to fight, and I know how to fight. Rebecca, thanks very much for joining us. Um, the US Senator Elizabeth Warren announced her presidential bid in late December. She's a former professor at Harvard Law School and also headed up President Obama's uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau following the uh, financial crisis in 2007-2008. Um, some would say that makes her eminently qualified to run for office, but uh, immediately after she declared, uh, there was this question in some sections of the US media as to whether she was likeable enough. Um, do you think women in certain fields like politics have to endure a different kind of test than men do? Yeah, absolutely. I think that women have to endure the likability test in pretty much every profession mm -hmm. that I can think of. And it goes to deep-seated cultural ideas that we've had at least since the 19th century around expectations of what a man is supposed to do mm -hmm. and what a woman is supposed to do. And I think th those come from these ideas of humans as animals, right? And the male animal is meant to fulfill certain functions. The male human animal has testosterone. He can do good parallel parking. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, yep, that's one yep. of the claims that's made, right? Testosterone yep. helps yep. with good parking. <laughs> and, and the female animal 
can carry children right. and so is supposed to be nurturing yep. um, and mothering and caring. Mm-hmm. And anytime, and it works for men too, if men don't fulfill that role. So if you're no good at parallel parking, mm-hmm. your masculinity is questioned yep. and usually sexual, sexuality is questioned as well. well I don't s- drive at all, so that's a big problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about the, the uh, comments that you would have gotten over the years, right? Um, and the same goes for women. So if women don't fulfil these these appearing to be nurturing roles, yeah. then their identity as women is uh, is questioned as and their sexuality can be questioned mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that w- one thing I was thinking about before coming to see you today, though, is I do think that we have seen a change and hopefully we can... T- talk a bit more about that mm-hmm. in response to maybe some of the other questions mm-hmm. that you have, which is that I think that it's now okay for women to be tough. Right. I don't think that that's always been the case. I think we've seen a massive shift in that over the last decade. Mm-hmm. As long as they can be tough, as long as they're still attractive and or <laughs> nurturing. Right. There's a few right? qualifiers there. There's okay. a few qualifiers yeah. there. Yeah. But yeah. so I, I think that um, I still think that's a big step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we've seen this unlikable tag applied to women before. Obviously, Hillary Clinton's a big one. Um, Australian's own female leaders like Julia Gillard. Um, there's this idea that you sort of that women can't connect with regular people in these sort of high positions within politics. Um, there are obviously those who would argue that this isn't sort of misogynistic. But 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 do you think there's a pattern here when it comes to women who seek higher or perhaps the highest office, you know, as opposed to women in these supporting roles? Absolutely. I, th- I think, and again, it relates to this idea of how the gender order is. Supposed Supposed to be, and mm-hmm. I think for some people, on a deep unconscious level, it it affects their sense of the survival of the species. Right. If men don't do what they're supposed to do, and women don't do what they're supposed to do, then the, 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 we have no future right. as humans. So I yep. think it's something really quite deep. Yep. But everything about our culture continues to perpetuate that. Mm-hmm. And I think the higher the stakes in terms of what a woman's going to do that yes. might challenge this unconscious bias around yep. gender roles, then the bigger task she's going to have in terms of facing um, issues of unlikability mm-hmm. and so on. So I actually think that and, and I'd like to put unconscious bias on a spectrum with uh, sexism and misogyny. Mm-hmm. I think we th- there can be some discussions that are too quick to go straight to sexism and misogyny. Right. And misogyny is one of those words that immediately shuts down the conversation. Yeah, yeah. If yep. I accuse you of doing that right now, yep. you go on the defensive yep. and the end yep. is nigh. I think if we could talk about unconscious bias, mm-hmm. we, we might be in better shape. And I think right. that some of these political candidates needs to start doing that mm-hmm. because even the least misogynistic least sexist of us have these unconscious bias. They're unconscious. That's the whole point. If we can start to take a look at them, Mm -hmm. then I think that we'll be in better shape. Do you think likability actually matters in in politics? I mean, uh, I don't imagine many people liked Donald Trump among those who actually voted for him. I mean, they may have voted him for because of other qualities or experiences. So so do you think in the end that likability is a big factor when someone goes to vote? I do. Right. I do. And maybe I might put it differently as the ability to connect right. to okay. people. Yep. Because Trump certainly had built that yep. in a couple of ways. One, through being on The Apprentice for years. Yes. He built yep. a relationship with an audience. Another one is his use of social media. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, while he's pilloried for his spelling mistakes and his grammatical errors yep. and the way that he writes, at the same time it gives a real authenticity to the way that he communicates. People yep. think, oh, it's really the president. It's not his social media team yeah. doing these yeah. tweets. And it kind of replicates almost a... a 
evangelical relationship with God, right? Mm -hmm. A central tenet of evangelical faith is for the individual to have a direct relationship with God. And through social media, Donald Trump has been able to uh, establish a similar kind of relationship with Mm -hmm. audiences. I think that Alexandria Mm Ocasio-Cortez is someone who's really good at doing that. Not that she's running for president yet. No, a bit too young at this stage. Uh, But I think that she's established a real authenticity to her social media voice uh, in doing things like talking about her skincare regime on Instagram <laughs> uh, and posting those the, the clip of herself dancing following the clip that yeah. was meant to embarrass her. I think, and and in that, oh, I hate to put her, I hate to liken her to Donald Trump, but the, the common touch, right, the idea yeah. of someone who's an everyday person who just happens to be in politics. Yeah, it's obviously her. It's not her team tweeting. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. I think what well, may well be her team yeah. tweeting, Well, they've right? certainly made it but, seem like it's just her. Yeah. And I think that, that the ability to, at the very least, craft an image of mm-hmm. having that everydayness about you is really critical to people. Think back to George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. People said, oh, he seems like he'd be really great to have a beer with. Yeah. When was that a criteria for being president? Yeah. I mean, yeah. no one will say that on paper yeah. officially, but certainly it is. And even when John Kerry went up against uh, George W. Bush, yep. That one of the criticisms of him was that he spoke French, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, and and this, therefore, yeah, yeah. he's part of an elite, yes, and therefore, yeah. won't be yeah. nice at the pub. So yeah. this gets back to the likability and yeah. the ability to connect. Yeah. Um, and I didn't say earlier, just on that question about um, female likability. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that example of when Hillary Clinton or Hillary Clinton's poll ratings Mm -hmm. and opinion polls about her were always low when she was in office or running for office and very high when she was leaving a position of power. After she, uh, before she ran for president the first time round, the opinion of her was at an all-time high. Mm -hmm. And same with after she'd worked with Barack Obama, the opinion of her was at an all-time high. And I think that there's some data there that shows that there's a very real correlation between women going for those high-stakes positions Mm -hmm. and people's unconscious bias kicking in. Um, It should be said that there's accusations of unfair treatment of female candidates from both the left and right in politics. Just this week we've seen uh, criticism of Bernie Sanders supporters for online attacks against Kamala Harris. Um, Let's hear what Hillary Clinton had to say to his supporters in a CBS interview over the weekend. Bernie's not a Democrat, and, and that's not a slam. That's what he says himself. And I think a lot of what... Uh, he churned up in the primary campaign was very uh, hurtful in the general election against me. And I see him doing the same thing. I see him, you know, with his supporters, he doesn't disown the things they say about, you know, some of my favorite Democrats, people like Kamala Harris, who is out there speaking up and speaking out, and she's being attacked from the left. Enough. You know, if you don't want to support Democrats, then go somewhere else. Rebecca, so-called Bernie bros have had these allegations lobbed at them for a few years now. Do you think we could see these kind of similar sexist attacks that Hillary Clinton endured uh, against a female candidate in 2020? Sure. The sexism's not going away. So we've talked about unconscious bias. The sexism and misogyny are absolutely there. On left and right sort of spectrum. On the left and the right. We've just seen come out a report about women's experiences with online trolling in Australia and how severe it is. So this is something that's still part of culture that's not going to go anywhere. Um, there's going to be um, racist attacks as well, yeah. given yep. that a couple of the women uh, identify as people of colour yep. or have uh, 
ancestral backgrounds yes. that, that aren't, uh, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon, yes, European yep. or white. Yep. Um, and I think that what the candidates need to keep in mind, particularly at this point in history, is not those attacks that are coming at them, but how they conduct themselves in relation to questions of mm-hmm. identity yep. and in the ways that they deal with um, people from minority groups. Mm-hmm. That will that will help. Um, uh, you mentioned sort of uh, people of different sort of uh, racial backgrounds and heritage. Um, Elizabeth Warren has also had to deal with questions about her heritage sort of specifically. Um, uh, she's uh, declared herself as um, of having Native American heritage in um, some of the staff directories during her time in academia. Um, lis- listeners may have heard uh, Donald Trump refer to her pejoratively as Pocahontas on yeah. Twitter, for example. Or the Indian. Yes, yep. Um, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the story, can you sort of explain for us what that controversy is about? So the backstory. It started coming out at Elizabeth Warren in 2014 Mm -hmm. that she had used it marked on job applications that she was native had Native American ancestry. That was found to not be true, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly the case that she has listed herself as being Native American Mm -hmm. in places over the years. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump revived the questions around her heritage mm-hmm. when calling her the Indian and Pocahontas. So yep. he's really trying to get at her credibility yep. there. Similar to what we saw with perhaps Barack Obama and the Bertha scandal, which he obviously took a, a lead Ab- role in. Absolutely, except at least Elizabeth Warren had made these claims about herself and yes. she appears to be white, whereas Barack Obama really was born in the United States. Yes. So yep. th- there seems to be some distinction between them. The issue with the way that Elizabeth Warren has handled it, there's there's a couple of things. The first one is that she says that she knows she's Native American Mm -hmm. because of family stories that were told to her. Yep. And Native American communities in the United States have the right to um, confer Native American citizenship Mm -hmm. within Native American states within the United States and also have a right to determine who is Native American, who identifies as that. So the Cherokee Nation, which uh, Elizabeth Warren has claimed to be, um, have have ancestry in, Mm -hmm. they've said, no, you're not Cherokee as far as we've concerned. Okay. As as far as we're concerned. So this gets down to a battle over who gets to define whose identity. And back to that point I made before about how the candidates need to be careful about how they handle this. What Elizabeth Warren hasn't done is spoken to the Cherokee Nation Mm -hmm. about her own identity and her claims to it. And the key issue is that for them, I think, is that first she used stories of her Native American ancestry mm-hmm. to professional advantage. Right. And then the second issue is that now she's come up with a DNA test that proves that she does six to ten generations back have some Native American heritage. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, well, now you're deferring to DNA testing which is from white science that's been imposed on Indigenous peoples in order to make claims against them, Mm -hmm. and you're ignoring the way that we confer identity or the way that we understand identity. And I think one, and she has refused to meet with them to have a conversation about this so far as I understand it. And that's something to me, and and clearly I'm not a politician because it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Go and have the conversation as soon as possible yeah. Yeah. and talk through how we, you know, what, what's the right language mm-hmm. here? Do I think she shouldn't be able to say that she's been told she's native, part Native American since birth? No, I, th- I think that that should be okay. But yeah. respect, given the context of her being in such a position of power mm-hmm. 
in American politics in relation to Native American communities, I think it's critical for her to take that very seriously and deal with it very sensitively. Okay. Um, so far, we've seen mainly women um, putting up their hands for the nomination for president on the Democratic side. Um, uh, is it safe to say the odds are you know, we're going to have a female candidate in 2020? Do you think that's a likely outcome? I really like to say yes, yes. And, I, <laughs> <laughs> and I hope so, yeah. but I would be really surprised if we do. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. I'm surprised. I would be surprised because I still think we're not there yet. Yeah. I think we're having the conversation around me too, yep. but that's been a deeply polarizing mm-hmm. conversation. I think it's yep. driven some people and radicalized some people to say, re- we really need to take a look at the way women are treated mm-hmm. and we need to think differently about women. And it's driven other people to the opposite of this is an absolute outrage. Yep. Men are men, women are women, mm-hmm. women should just shut up yep. and or they're liars. Yep. I think that the Democrats will be very careful after what happened with Hillary versus Trump. Even though we saw big wins from Democratic women in the midterms, which is a really positive sign, I still think it's going to be really hard to put a woman up against Donald Trump. I think that you could have a male candidate with a really strong female candidate as his vice president, Mm -hmm. a kind of dream team, Uh, and that would that would go really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Yep. That's I just I would be so happy to be speaking to you yep. in a few years yeah, yeah. and and say I was totally wrong. <laughs> <on that." laughs> um, you mentioned the Me Too movement. Um, so movements like that and events like the Women's March really grew um, out of or certainly blossomed after Trump's election. Um, how do you think those movements might affect um, a 2020 campaign in ways that we didn't see in 2016? I think that's an interesting question because I get what you mean about. Uh, me too growing out of or blossoming out of Trump because even though there are issues with these men that stand alone separate from him, I think that they also function as Trump by proxy. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get the president so someone's going to have to go. Um, That sounds more calculated than I I mean it to sound but I think psychologically Mm -hmm. there's a whole set of mechanisms that have been going on in terms of what needs to happen to change the day-to-day gender politics of American society. So I think that Me Too has influenced even the number of women who who have come forward and said that they're going to run for president. So we're already seeing some of the influence of that there. Um, I think that we're seeing the movement's effects. Again, it's not just the Me Too movement. I think that in a way, though, it's inseparable from Trump's election. Yeah. So it's the response yeah. to the election of yeah. him and say, and what happened to Hillary Clinton as well. Mm-hmm. Even people who weren't fans of Hillary Clinton, I think, saw there's some other layer of stuff that's going on yeah. here. Th- that continues to be passed out. How much of it was unconscious bias, misogyny, sexism, we can't put our fingers on it exactly. But mm-hmm. certainly people understand that that, that, was, that was happening there. Yeah. I hope that we'll see media being more careful mm-hmm. in the way that they talk about and present women back yep. to this issue of unlikability. Yeah, so yeah. often you'll see, if you have a look at the newspaper, whether you're reading a, a printed paper or seeing stuff online, mm-hmm. an article about a female politician, yep. have a look at the picture. Yeah. So the article might say all the good things or just be, I'm going to report this as straight as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an objective reporting. And then they've picked one of the worst, most unflattering pictures <laughs> they could possibly pick yeah. so that pictures and the way that women get presented in various ways are used to present another kind of message yep. that's at odds with what the text is telling mm-hmm. you. I hope that we'll see more thoughtfulness mm-hmm. around those kinds of issues. I remember when um, 
Hillary Clinton was running against Barack Obama, seeing an interview with her on Tyra Banks's show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tyra Banks had written questions from the studio audience on tissues for Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton had to pluck them out of a oh tissue box in, in order to read them and then answer them. And on the one hand, I understood it as perhaps an appropriate uh, gimmick to yeah. use in the context of that particular show and mm-hmm. that particular audience. Mm-hmm. But I just thought, oh, you know, she's got to add that extra layer of time into her day of the way that she looks as well as now she's got to deal with a tissue box and she's got to act (laughs) like the tissue box isn't demeaning or offensive or feminising or any of Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. I hope that we'll see some more uh, thoughtfulness around that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff from Me Too. There was plenty of criticism after the 2016 election that um, um, a focus on on identity politics had damaged Clinton's campaign. Do you put much stock in that claim? I mean, certainly there was a lot of promotional material focusing on her gender, on things like LGBT politics, but do you think she ultimately suffered from having a focus on that? I just think it's rubbish that identity politics ruined Hillary Clinton's Mm -hmm. campaign because Donald Trump is a master of identity politics of playing the identity as a white male saviour, mm-hmm. basically, who's going to come back, take back the United States from the African-American president mm-hmm. who'd run it into the ground yep. before him. Or from immigrants in, in some neighbouring countries. From immigrants, yep. right. And, and so one of the first things that comes to mind when people say, oh, it's identity politics, the Republicans don't do identity politics yep. and it's off-putting to them, two words, mm-hmm. border wall. Yeah. I mean, yep. we're still, the government's been shut down because of the border wall, and that's so much about Trump's understanding of playing to people's deep-seated fears about difference, Mm -hmm. about immigrants, the way that he talks to women, the way that he talks to men about their masculinity. Mm -hmm. He's got a really fine-tuned, I think, understanding of how activated people get around issues of identity. So I think to, to think that identity politics ruined Hillary Clinton's campaign is to think that identity politics somehow can be removed from the political equation yep. when absolutely they can't. They can't. Yeah. Since the midterm elections, Donald Trump seems to have struggled to really work out how to deal with Nancy Pelosi as leader of the House. Um, that certainly became more clear during the government shutdown negotiations. Do you think that's because he's not used to dealing with women in powerful positions or sort of more because she's quite an astute political player given her years of experience within the, the machinery of government, I guess? I think it's a, certainly part of it is her experience mm-hmm. and her skill yep. as a politician, but I also think it's the fact that she's in a position of power in relation to him. Yep. So, for example, saying that she wanted him to delay his State, State of the Union, Union yep. address and then, you know, just a few hours ago inviting him to give it on February 5th mm-hmm demonstrates that she has power and that she can and will wield it in order to control his Mm behaviour. And that puts him in a really difficult position. I think Nancy Pelosi is also very clever about using identity Mm -hmm. as a way of framing things that she says. And one example is when she talked about seeing Donald Trump tantruming Mm -hmm. and she said, I can say something along the lines of, I can say that as a mother and as a grandmother, Mm -hmm. I've seen this happen before. (laughs) So what she's doing there is two things. She's being tough. Like I will say it as I see it, Mm -hmm. but also she's calling on and I'm a mother and I'm a grandmother. Mm -hmm. So she's appealing to what people think, the, the roles that people think that 
those traditional, women, yeah. Yeah, so traditional female roles yep. in order to speak from a position of moral authority mm-hmm. over Donald Trump. And one thing that I think that even his supporters would not claim about him is that he has a great deal of moral authority. Right. There was plenty of criticism of um, Nancy Pelosi when she ran again for Speaker after Democrats took back the um, the House of Representatives. Some said she wasn't sort of capable of taking the gavel again, um, that, it, that it should go to a younger generation of Democrats. Do you think there's a, a few critics now eating humble pie given her success in the border wall and government shutdown negotiations last week? Perhaps, but it's probably pie they're happy to be eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, given uh, the result. Given the result yeah, at yeah, this time. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think that the the toughness that she's demonstrated mm-hmm. is really critical and she's able to demonstrate it because it because it's critical mm-hmm. in dealing with Donald Trump yep. she has support not just from democrats but from republicans mm-hmm. to be tough with him yep. whether they're voicing it in parliamentary terms or whether it's actually coming out through leaks mm-hmm. and so on. And I think popular culture has supported women taking a, st- a tough stance on things. So yep. I was thinking about Katniss Everdeen in the Hunger Games uh, yeah, movies yep. or even yep. Wonder Woman, yep. that these women who still have feelings and romantic yeah. feelings and want to have families or be nurturing, yep. but th- they have to take a strong position. I think there's a whole other conversation to be had there about the context of perpetual war that we've been living in yep. since at least September 11. Mm-hmm which has required more bodies to fight and so it's okay for women to be tough or Mm -hmm. there's a kind of uh, unconscious maybe or conscious propaganda towards women need to be tough Mm -hmm. in order to fight but I think that that benefits the situation here. That's a great place to leave it. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for Thanks joining so much, us. Drew. I think I hope you'll come back to us as uh, the campaign rolls on. I'm sure we'll have plenty more to unpack. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Music this week was brought to you by Lobo Loco, Xylo Zico, Silicon Transmitter and Ketzer. And as always, thank you to the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney for their studio assistance. We'll see you next week.